with somebody that that real quick. But I'll step back. There we go. Might help a little bit. But hey, Brandon Fisher, Nate, let's give them a hand real quick. Where are you? I'm looking for worship uh, leader on our social media this week for sure. Um, but in case you don't know, Carol also runs all of Chapel Hill's social media and communications. And she just, does, yes, does a wonderful job. So great. And now we've discovered this amazing other extremely awesome talent that she has and gift that she's given us in leading us in worship. Also, Brandon Fisher. Where's Brandon? Brandon and his wife, Liz, right over there. Yep. Guys, in case you don't know, um, Brandon and Liz are both uh, on staff at Crew here at UNC. And we are so thankful for their, uh, you know, stepping into that call into ministry and, and reaching our, our fellow college students here in our city. And uh, they uh, are in the process of gaining support as they are getting ready to take this full-time uh, step into ministry this year. So if that's something that you would love to know more about or hear more from Brandon and Liz, I'd love to connect you. And uh, also, I just ask that you pray for them, Lord, as they reach out to, you know, those in our community that don't know Jesus or are confused by Jesus or maybe stepping out of their home churches and finding Jesus in their way for the first time in their lives, that they, they are willing to be present in the lives of those people. So please keep praying for them. And if you want to support them in any way, please let me know. Love to get you connected. And as since we're continuing to say thank you to folks, uh, I want to also say thank you to some unsung heroes, including the person that brings this bread every week, Vicki Stocking. In case you guys didn't know, Vicki. Vicki does so many amazing things. But uh, one of the things she does every week is the hunt for the perfect communion bread. And she takes this so serious, guys. I love. She's back there uh, telling me, like, I, you know, maybe we should try this different bread next time. That. She's wonderful. I love it. This is, uh, this is interesting. So she also, a little secret. We're, I'm just going to look behind the curtain here. I don't know if you guys don't know. So, so some of us pastors are not that strong. I, mean, I know we look amazing, but we're not that strong. So sometimes these breads are a little hard. So there is actually a cut perforated already prepared for me right now so that I don't look like, oh, my gosh. Bread, bread of life. Oh, thank you, Vicky. Thank you, Vicky. And lastly, uh, this this we are into a new era of Love Chapel Hill over the last uh, few months, and one of the biggest blessings we have is have our first servant in chief, Justin Simmons, as our lead pastor for the last two months. Guys, it's been two months. Yeah, let's get. Stepping into that role, stepping into that face step of leaving the, his time at the chamber to completely dedicate his life to ministry. And we were just so thankful for you, Justin. We appreciate you, buddy. All right. All right. We might have some more thank yous later. I, I like those the best. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we come together to worship you. Here in the Varsity Theater, we, we do miss your beautiful creation of outdoors, but we understand you like to make it hot sometimes. And we are thankful that we do have places that are cool that we can come to. And we understand that there are those that are not. And Lord, we pray for them right now, Lord, that you provide for them a place that's cool and safe. Uh, Lord, that they can come and be find you, Lord, in, in that safeness, Lord. God, I also pray right now, Lord, that your spirit speaks through me. And Lord, that this comes from you. And I also ask for the ears that hear today, Lord, that they, they judge this through your spirit. And Lord, receive what is good and, and from you. Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in week six of praying in the Psalms. 
This is the sixth Psalm. Guess what that means? 144 more to go, right? <laughs> no, no, just joking, joking. That'd be cool though. But uh, we have just a few more in the next few weeks and we'll have uh, you know, some new stuff that we're gonna be going through, which is really exciting with our teaching team. But I wanna thank uh, Pastor Justin, who's led us in Psalm 117, 24, and uh, 51. And then on our, our teaching team, uh, Chris Clark and Valerie Burgard led us a couple weeks. Chris in Psalm 98 and Valerie last week do an amazing job with 139. We are a team we are building, and you, there's many more voices to come. I'm excited for you all to hear them. But i got to be honest with you. When we were coming into uh, this series on the Psalms, and I, I signed up to, to speak, um, it, it, it is a new challenge for me. And uh, the Psalms in itself are a new challenge for me. And I'm sharing this because I'm not sure if you might feel, I just don't want to assume everybody loves the Psalms or gets the Psalms. And I'm here to tell you I don't get the Psalms a lot. It's not how my brain works. Uh, generally, I love narratives. Give me a Jesus parable every day of the week. Let me walk through Genesis. But the, but the poetry and the lyrical uh, aspect is just not something that I click with. And uh, till about a couple years ago. And uh, those of you who have been around a little while, uh, you might remember uh, when the world turned upside down in March of 2020, uh, a few months after that, we were trying to figure out how we can still connect as a church. And one of those ways, we started a Bible study in the book of Psalms. And we got together, and just like this series, there was a new leader each week. There was a, a new psalm that we talked about. But uh, I noticed that, uh, you know, in these, these books, these, these, these psalms, these songs that we've been, uh, where we're learning in, you know, it's like you, you, you open up the book and you read and you're like, okay, this guy's having a bad day still having a bad day. It's a new guy, and he's having a bad day. Um, you know, oh, this one's repenting. Interesting. So, like, what is this book? What is this ancient writing? These ancient hymns, and it's been long gone, expressing to us. And the beauty of community learning, aka Bible study, I've found a new respect and understanding of the Psalms. And in that, I started to look at what it was. And I found that out of the 66 books in the Bible, that the Psalms may have been the most human. The most human expressed form of the books. It's not a narrative, it's a space where people can express genuinely how they feel, or how they are experienced in the world, and how they see God. There's beauty in that. There's beauty in that humanity. And God allows that to be in His Holy Scripture to present it to us. And I've started to see the value in these relationships, especially through my friends that were sharing their connections to these psalms. So as these psalms are so human, you, you see the space that was loud and presented where you can lament, where you can express anguish, also where you can praise and celebrate. The psalms give permission as humans to speak to God in our baddest days, in our worst and worse. In, one, in, in, a, in a part of a psalm, you could be reading in one minute they're in deep anguish, and the next they're praising and worshiping. And you're like, this is so human and so beautiful, beautiful writing. But it does give us permission that bad days do happen. Pandemics do come. We lose friends, we lose family members, we lose jobs. And that, not that worship or the sense of reading the psalm cures that, but it does give us to a point who the one who can. That's the beauty of the psalms. 
So I started looking a little deeper and I started wondering like, well, what are they actually doing in this crying out to God? They're presenting worship. So if you don't mind, we'll talk about worship for just a little bit. So what is worship? You probably hear that term quite a bit, especially if you've been around the church. A lot of the times, at least in my context, I had heard that it was referenced to a form of uh, a song like we just did, like that was the worship part of the service. And that, in that essence, is not wrong, but it's not completely right. Worship is more than just the song. Songs are a form of worship. But so is, as we entered in today, Pastor Allison did a great job of bringing us into a liturgical prayer that we read together. That was worship. Even in this very moment, as I'm running my mouth, but we're also in a space of learning from this Holy Scripture, and you are in a posture of learning and, ex and focusing your mind and efforts in learning of what, who is Jesus and what is this all about. It's worship. That every component of this day in this moment, starting about 10-ish, we're kind of a 10-ish church starting, <laughs> we started worshiping. And we are going so even through this moment when, when we will celebrate in remembrance of what the Lord has done with the body and the bread. But to understand worship, we understand that there is many forms of it, and each one is beautiful. There's definitely a space for personal worship. Jesus in Matthew 6, 6 says, But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus himself demonstrated, he instructs here, but he demonstrated many times. I, I love, it's kind of, feel, to me it feels a little comical, but we, in, you know, we do the right thing. We highlight, you know, we focus on some of the areas where Jesus does a miracle or he teaches or he, he expresses a parable or, or all those spaces. But many times the, the authors of the gospels are illustrating and narrating his life. They will mention, well, there's one line or, or many, but they'll, they'll express Jesus went off to pray. He went off to a quiet place prior to these amazing events. There's a part of personal worship and personal prayer that is important as followers of Jesus that we must do. So there's a space for that. But in corporate worship is the gift of the church, it is the gift that was presided for us that we were able to uh, our today's world of view of it because it's been going on since the beginning of the establishment of the covenants to the spaces where they would bring sacrifices to the altar, to the reading of Torah, which is the Old Testament, the Old Testament verses. And even in Jesus' time, never more famous, where he would himself lead many times in the temple, come and read the scrolls and open up. And probably the most one that stuck out the best was in Luke 14, where he reads the scroll of Isaiah, what we know as is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery for the sight of the blind, to let the oppressed go free. Jesus, in that moment, God is man, worshiping and also God speaking back. In that moment, of course, it, ripped, you know, it created a big ripple effect. Many didn't like it. Many was like, oh my goodness, the Messiah is here beautiful in that form of worship. And then we cannot leave and, ex and move past the human aspect of worship in the, in the New Testament as well. Uh, in Mary, mother of Jesus, in Luke 1, 
is, is read as Mary's song, where she writes this from the most unique perspective of any human ever existed, the mother of the Savior of Jesus, presenting herself and what she believes. And in that you read, she picks little pieces of, of Old Testament script, what we know as Old Testament scripture, putting them together to create her song, this liturgical song that we can worship with, even today reading with Mary. I think, where's Chris? Chris Clark. You, didn't you have a message at Advent last year about Mary's song? Yeah, I think I, I, would, I would highly encourage you to go back and find that he did a great job in that and uh, breaking that down. But one of, the, one of my favorites that I've learned of worship here in the last couple of years that I found I want to encourage all of you, if you haven't had a chance to really dive into, is liturgical worship and reading of scriptures and reading of old prayers. N.T. Wright, who's often quoted by many of our teaching teams, so you hear about this person a lot. He's an author, a pastor, a bishop, a scholar, super smart dude that reads the Bible a lot. That is exactly his bio, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Says, liturgy connects those that came before us and the movement of God through time to the here and now. i repeat that. Liturgy connects those that came before us and the movement of God through time to the here and now. There's a special connection where there's a call and response, a reading of scripture together, a prayer that was written by a saint many years ago that connects us to the same pains and anguishes and the connections throughout history of people connecting to God through some of the worst times and some of the best times. We were able to connect together, and there's a beauty in that, in that form of worship. And I encourage you, if that's something that you haven't been able to do or you haven't dove into, to, to give it a try. There's something special about it. If you want to hear more about uh, what N.T. Wright has said about this, I, I highly encourage it. On the Sunday page, you can find down the resources. There's a link to it right there on the bottom. Um, it, he, he just really breaks down worship in a beautiful way, and I would highly recommend it. But out of all these ways of worship, one thing that is true, the primary factor in worship concerns not the structure nor the style, but the content of the heart, the presentation of our hearts to God. Paul expresses even deeper in Romans 12, 1, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your whole bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Well, Paul breaks down, the, the, his, Romans is in depth. I'd love to hear another super smart dude that reads the Bible a lot express that in some way. Maybe my friend Caleb Maxson or Sam Schmidt can do that for us one day. But Paul, in this essence here of this passage, says that to give our whole selves in worship, in spirit. And that is the essence of worship, that we give everything to God in that moment. Nothing, no distractions set aside. Because in that, our humanity, worship is the genuine human response to God, centering us on the person of Jesus in our lives, removing all others, distractions that get in his way. Let's put it a little practically. Um, one of the things I love kind of doing is learning from communicators, um, people who, like teach about interviews and such, and body language. Um, it's fascinating how they break that down and how effective that is. And one of the things that most commonly is taught, and you probably have heard this too, is that wherever our shoulders are pointing or wherever our toes are pointing, that is really where our attention is. As an example, you and I may be sitting across from each other at Sutton's one day having a good meal, because that's where I like to go. Um, and if I'm, you're talking to me and I'm sitting sideways and my toes are facing this way, that the, the idea, the essence of it is like, hey, I may be hearing you, but my attention is not squared upon you. 
And there's a part of this physical aspect of pointing our attention to something that is important. And that is worship. And there's a part of removing distractions and putting our whole self towards that our, our shoulders are square and our toes are pointed towards the thing that we're paying attention to. And here comes the warning. And here comes the hard part. We can talk about worship in all these great ways, this Christian worship. But one of the things that we can do is not just worship God. And in this, in this space, we have to be careful because we can worship things that are not of God and he is not very fond of that. And if you are a follower of Jesus, and I'm not assuming that everybody here is, so if you're not, I please hope you hear me that this is our heart and our passion, this is our guide. But there's many times that the church fails, especially in this country. And if you don't mind, I'll get a little, little real for a second. And I wanna, I wanna ask you as a pastor of this church that if you ever see this, call us out. That from this stage, from this pulpit, from our voices, if we're ever promoting something else other than full, honest worship to God and putting our hopes and dreams in something that is other than Him, we're missing the point. And we're falling into idolatry. And many of the churches in our country, and this is not calling out somebody saying that they're, they're horribly wrong, they're trying to do the best they can, but there's a trap that has fallen many churches that we put things like country and politics mixed in with our Lord and Savior and present it as the hope. And here's the balance. And here's here, if you don't mind uh, breaking it down as it needs to be, it is okay to massively appreciate something, to be so thankful for it, to even in essence, if it's our job or career. But when it crosses over into worship is when we see that thing as the hope as the answer and there's nothing else where we maybe intentionally unintentionally put God at a parallel or even below it that's when we start worshiping those things just as Paul said our whole body our focus is focused on that one thing and that is the warning that may come this morning I hope that's not too heavy but I will say as a pastor if you see that coming from this stage please call us out it is about Jesus and Jesus only and that's what it is to follow him and that's the thing that we, you know, we wrestle in our own lives and evaluate. There's a talk, Jesus talks about dialing daily, to take up our cross daily as a part of like assessing where we are, where our focus is, who we are putting our efforts and loves and hopes in. Again, we can still love, some, love something, love someone without worshiping them. There's a difference. So Christian worship creates a space to interact with God and praise Him for who He is and what He has done acknowledging who is on the throne and who is our Lord of our lives. We cannot make anything else our Lord. But this is the beauty of the Psalms. The humanity of the Psalms teaches us uh, through Scripture that as we regularly pray and sing through the Psalms, it enables us to stand in the intersection between God's time and ours, God's space and ours, God's purpose for his creation and where we are at the moment, good, bad, or otherwise. This is the heart of a worshiper. The heart of a worshiper focuses whole self on Jesus. The worship will center us in the times of trouble to look to the source of hope. To learn about what the heart of a worshiper is, um, today we're going to go into Psalm 63. Psalm 63 is written by King David, also known throughout the Bible, expressed as a man after God's own heart. 
There's a space for that. David has the heart of a worshiper. And Psalm 63 is this great balance of presenting what it is, and we can learn to completely focus on the Lord in the midst of trouble. Let's go ahead and read it real quick here. It says, uh, the heading says, The Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and the rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy life shall go down, go down into the depths of the earth, and they will be, shall be given over to the powers of the sword. They shall be portions of her jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for my mouth of liars will be stopped. Yeah, the first part sounded, sounded kind of nice. The last part got a little crazy. Let me give you why. <laughs> so, in uh, the heading, it's important here. It says, David in the wilderness of Judah. Uh, what we know is when we learn about this, the life of David, there's two parts this may fall into. Uh, many scholars believe it's going to fall into the latter, what I'm about to, to tell us. Um, but the first part, it potentially is when he is running uh, in the wilderness from Saul, because he was in the wilderness of Judah at that time. Um, technically, he was not yet king, so the, the idea they believe this is falling into the after, because it does... He referenced himself as king, um, but he still might have thought that as he had already been anointed by Samuel. He just hadn't officially taken the throne yet. But most likely, and maybe even more dire of, an oper- of a time when David was in the wilderness was, was after he was king. And uh, his son had grown up. His name is Absalom. Uh, it's not a story that I, I haven't even heard much preached, but I, I encourage you to go read it. It is very complicated and messy and, and again, very human in 2 Samuel 23. But Absalom, David's son, decided he thought he could be a better king, long story short, raised up many people to become on his side, and they started a literal coup and ran David out of his kingdom. And here we are in the wilderness. So David, sitting in the wilderness, not knowing if he will get his kingdom back, the thing that God had promised him, his own son is trying to kill him, he's lost all his resources, he's in this really bad place and not knowing where hope will lie expresses this psalm in the midst of that pain. And I think that's where we can learn and from David as a heart of a worshiper, that we can worship in the midst of the worst of times. Where he starts off where he says, uh, Oh God, you are my God. Instantly, David is taking possession of God. And that may sound a little weird to say, but think about it this way. In this moment, he is saying, God, you are my God. There is no other. It is only you. I seek, I'm presenting it to you. Again, putting him on the throne in his life. And then he goes on, earnestly I seek you. And maybe you read this in your translation of your Bible, but uh, that word seek in the Hebrew, the original Hebrew is actually seek early or an early seek. That's important because either, whether David is sitting on the the hillside in in the desert looking out as the sun rises, it may be so what he's referencing here. Or it is a spot where he's talking about seeking early in that time of trouble, in the, in the midst of it. This is the first thing. The heart of a worshiper seeks God early. 
is not a post-action, but a pre-action into uh, the problems that, that he's experiencing. And then he brings in his whole self, and we, we read about his body, his, he's thirsty for the Lord. He's thirsty for God. His, his flesh is faint, that his body is weary, he's, and he's in a place with no water. He's adding his whole self to this time of worship, his mind, body, soul, and strength, and allows for a weary heart to make the presence of God never more desirable because he is focused, his, his shoulders are squared, and his toes are pointed towards the Lord. And this first section here, that we can learn these first couple of verses that the heart of a worshiper establishes who God is and the conditions in which you come to him in an honest and genuine place. He does not hold back. We are allowed to be human with God and allowed to express our emotions and our feelings. And then David, trans, he kind of thinks a transla- transition here in the next three verses where he turns to more of a praise. We hear, he says, because of your steadfast love, is better than life. What a powerful statement. Then he goes on with these I will statements. I will praise you. I will lift up my hands. My mouth will praise you. These future tense, he's now, he's, he stated the presence tense in the first section, but now he's saying, here's who I will be for you. This doesn't guarantee that these things will happen, but he is presenting himself in this area to God. That worship for him is better than life. God's love is better than life. There's nothing better than him. And for that, he will praise. And then in verse 4, this is important. Again, we talked about the posture. He mentions lifting up his hands. Maybe you've done this in, during a song or during a prayer. Uh, you, or you've seen somebody you know, raise their hands like this or, or, or like this. And maybe you've wondered what that is. Here's the point. And David actually talks about raising the hands in other psalms and and other areas of his life. But here in this space, we can see this heart of a worshiper is, again, he's squaring his shoulders, he's pointing his toes. And that is the value of it. And if there's something you have not done of raising your hands in prayer or in song of worship, I, I, I do highly encourage it. Just try it out. Yeah, it may look weird, it may feel weird. But in that moment, you close your eyes, you raise your hands, there's a spot or this special moment that, you're, that allows you to focus, like, hey, this is about me and you. Yes, there's people around, but we're going to do this together, focused on you. Sometimes in prayer, I, I don't start that way, but I'm like, I feel in the distractions, and there's something about that physical posture of entering into that space. So again, I highly recommend it as you worship, even as we sing song again here in a little while. You'll just be doing what I, what I said, so nobody will think you're weird. It's okay. But in this section, the heart of a worshiper learns to praise, not knowing if the good things or the bad things will be good again, but also living in a posture of focusing God in the whole self, that nothing matters more than God. That is the heart of a worshiper. Then David, in the next three verses, he again kind of shifts to a more of a remembrance. In verse six, he says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, as David started this time of worship in a space of the early stage of the trouble in the early part of the day, now he's expressing that his worship continues, that it doesn't end, that it flows into the quiet time, the point of meditation. The heart of a worshiper never starts worshiping and allows for things to be quiet, to hear God, to remember what he has done. 
There's a space, if we have no words in worship, just to sit and meditate on what he has done, to know he can do that again, and he can do, even do it new. In this section, the heart of a worshiper, David comes to a sense of comfort in remembering what God has done in the places that he has encountered God. And then we get into this kind of this weird section. Now the context of his, you know, where he is, it kind of makes sense. And David, yes, uses some very, very harsh language. He wants his enemies to be killed, and we're, we're getting real here, guys. That, that includes his son. It's real. Just because David prayed it, here's the human side, doesn't mean God sanctions that. But it does allow for a space to be honest, and that is okay. And that is okay. But what we can learn here is that in that hope and that prayer that God would take away his problems, he does find joy that God will and establish that faith that he will bring him out of it. And when we pray and we ask God to do certain things, and maybe it doesn't come as we did, doesn't mean he's not working. It doesn't mean we can't have faith that he will fix the problem, just be ready. It may look different than what we expected. But this is how the Psalms are so human. It allows us to be genuine and real and express ourselves in worship to God. It's beauty in it. I found that passion down with the Psalms. Then the moments of our trouble, we can bring our emotions to God. But in worship, we can find deliverance in God. And this is faith that we have are provided in worship. Let's quick recap of Psalm 63. This first section, the heart of a worshiper states who God is and is to you in the early parts of your pain. So let's give you an example. Today, if you, let's just say you lost your job and you're in that moment of, of despair. You don't know what you did wrong. Maybe you do know what you did wrong. You feel like a failure. You don't know where your next paycheck's coming. In that trouble, we could present here a space of saying, God, you are my God, none other than you. I come to you. I seek you early in this trouble. And Lord, I feel, I feel like I messed up. I also feel like I don't know where my next paycheck's coming or how I'm going to pay my rent. We can be honest and real in those spaces. Here, this is the formula that, that David provides for us to harbor worshiper. In the section two, he says, praise him in the midst of the trouble. I can go out and try to figure out the solution. Absolutely, and we should when we fall into trouble. But there's a space of bringing God in first. And praise him, saying, I know I love you and I will be with you and I will serve you and worship you because you are everything, even when it doesn't make sense. Section three, he said, the heart of a worshiper teaches us that there's joy for God in his assistance in remembering what he means to us. In that space of meditation and quietness, we can remember what God has done. And then section four, we can know that we can be human with God and we can also find joy in him. And that is okay. That is the heart of a worshiper. But this may be the most important thing. When it comes to worship, it doesn't mean it's a cure for the problem you're in, but it places 100% whole self pointed towards the one who can. That is the benefit of worship. Just as David turns his focus to worship and pain, so can you. Focus on the most important relationship you have in Jesus. You might not be able to change your circumstances but you can turn to the one who can. And you can give your whole self in that and get out of his way. Worship brings us to the throne, to the one who loves you most, the one who created your life, the one that saved your life, the one who created you, that gave you the good things and is with you through the bad times. Jesus is worthy of our worship for what he has done as he died for us
to provide a path to the Father. He is worthy of our worship. This is the heart of a worshiper. But just as the Psalms, the beautiful Psalms, gives us the words and songs to worship with, this ancient hymn book that we can worship together with throughout history, the Gospels, the story of Jesus, also links us to the themes of worship and community with God and the entire faith community. That's the beauty of what we are doing here today, whether you're at home or here in the varsity, that we can worship together, focused our square shoulders and our toes toward it, toward God in community. This is the beauty of the church. Worship is a picture of entrance into communion with Jesus. In that, in his sacrifice, he provided, he provided us in instruction with his disciples the night before he was killed in remembrance of asking us to remember what he did. And whether it's called many names in the Lord's Supper, Communion, Eucharist. But this moment of breaking of the bread. Thanks, Vicki. <laughs> but in the moment of remembering this, as he says, take, take this my body, this bread, representation of my body, remember what I did. Remember what I'm about to do in sacrifice, in love for you, this ultimate measure of love. We can do that in worship today. And just as his blood was shed in this representation of the cup, the blood that is said to wash away our sins, white as snow, that no matter who we are or where we come from or what we did even last night, or what we did five minutes before we walked in this door, or the thoughts we've had while we've been here. That this blood and this body was shed so that we could still come to this table. We can still worship in that moment. And I want to encourage you, as we're about to partake in this moment, to see this as a moment of worship. That as you take that piece of bread and you dip it into the cup, I will ask you is. You come down, uh, Lauren's going to do a great job of, of letting you out the rows one at a time, and, and my friends Doug and Beth are going to serve you. They're going to give you a piece of the bread, and you're going to take that piece of the bread, and you're going to dip it into the cup. But I'm going to ask you in that moment, not just, just consume, take it back to your seat. Have a moment of meditation. Look at it. And just remember one thing God has done for you. Say a prayer for maybe the worst thing that's happening to you right now. Maybe you don't have much hope. Do this in worship. Point your shoulders, point your toes, and focus on this moment of worship and consume. And remember and then just understand that the Spirit is working in you to be with you and to love you in that moment. Come and partake. <laughs>